This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome, I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome to The Garage, where technologies and products are invented that are now in use by hundreds of millions of people worldwide. At the Killer Innovation Show, we're all about ideas, creativity, and innovations, and encouraging you to take the risk and change the world with those ideas that you've got rattling around on your notebooks or in the back of your mind. The one thing I love about social media, and believe me, there's some things I don't like about social media, but one of the things I really love about social media is staying in touch. In my case, staying in touch with my former teammates and particularly interns. Now, the other day on Facebook, one of my interns posted about the birth of his first child, uh, an intern. Now, and I, I think back to when this particular individual was an intern, and, and it definitely makes me feel old. But this also caused me to step back and reflect about all of the people I've crossed paths with, former bosses. Um, some of them have gone on to, uh, to great things. Many of them are now retired. My uh, first mentor out of college, now retired in Arizona. Um, former teammates. Some of them are actually I've gone to multiple businesses with. Some of them are working with me, even in my current role. And then members of my innovation teams. Now, when I look back on teams that were highly productive, not ones that we just did kind of the normal product cycles, but ones that really got out there and just really delivered in radically new products, new technologies, entirely new concepts. One of the key characteristics as to why those teams were so successful was because of diversity. Now, you may be thinking I'm talking about, you know, the HR definition of diversity or diversity defined by federal regulation or state regulation. In the case of innovation and in my case, I'm talking about much more. One of the challenges for a leader, if you're going to lead a team, if you're pulling together a team, is you have to get the opinions and the inputs and ideas on the table for consideration. If they don't get out into the open, you don't even know they exist. In many cases, organizations, individuals in the organization, if you are a leader, people are sometimes hesitant. They don't want to put those ideas out there. They don't want their opinions out there. The, the easy way out is to wait for the boss to tell you what to do. But if you're going to be a true leader, if you're truly going to create a high-output team, you want to get their opinions on the table. You need is all those opinions out there, all the inputs, all the ideas. And in some cases, you need somebody who's going to yell BS to the boss if they are trying to do something that doesn't make any sense. Now, what, com what compounds this problem is, is that most leaders hire people like themselves. Similar backgrounds. If you're technical, you'll tend to hire somebody else who's technical because you have kind of a hidden language with them. Um, same education levels. In many cases, people go back and recruit um, from the, the same schools. And in fact, I was shocked. I was many years ago, I was down at a school in Florida, Florida Tech. And come to find out, it's one of the biggest recruiting schools for one of the major tech companies. And when I dug in as to why that particular tech company would go all the way to Florida Tech in order to do a major bulk of their recruiting, it turns out that one of their senior executives was a graduate from Florida Tech. 
So we tend to go back to the same schools, to the same people, to the same um, experiences, same economic backgrounds. Um, you know, did uh, you know, including our interests, our likes, our dislikes. Do we have hobbies? Are you a runner? Um, to break that trend and to create more productive teams, you gotta break the habit of hiring people just like us. And when it comes to innovation teams, those teams that are tasked with really coming up with the ideas that are really going to drive your innovation pipeline, it's even more important. So what are some of the different traits of diversity that you should recruit for? Now, obviously, you should recruit for gender, um, ethnicity, age. Now, age is an interesting one. Uh, typically, you know, we see a lot of uh, biases of, of people that are either much older or new graduates with no experience. Silicon Valley actually has a little bit of a different bias. And this has happened through each of my life's experiences as I've gone through and done my two cycles in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley does have a bias against anyone that's kind of kind of over that age of 35 or 40, unless you're a venture capitalist. But if you're just a, an employee looking for that next role and you're over 35 or 40, you tend to get looked down on. Now, back in the early 80s, I was in that under 35 category, uh, being involved in startup companies. Now I'm older, more involved at a, at a more senior level, and I hear this all the time, people coming to me for career advice about that age bias. Age diversity, having older, middle age, uh, younger but with experience or fresh out of college, you need that full diversity. Education, does everyone really need a degree? What about non-traditional degrees for the job or variety of experiences? Education is not the qualifier that it used to be, at least not in my book. Relevant experience, do you hire people who only have very, very long timelines of, of history with a particular industry or technology? Mix long experience with no experience. Economic upbringing, did you come from a family with money or did you come from middle class or lower middle class? Did you struggle as, a, as um, growing up? That all, all of these things, you bring that perspective. Nationality, where did you grow up at? Hobbies and interests, interests kind of outside the job. You know, one I, one company I know looks for musicians. Uh, they view that as being someone who's creative, not just a musician, but people who are songwriters are kind of the categories of people they look to hire, photographers. And also think about introverts versus extroverts. There's just, there is this kind of perspective that extroverts are better innovators because they're out there, they talk more, they're more outgoing. Um, but in many cases, and in fact, I just did a Facebook post on it this last week. You can go look it up, talking about introverts versus extroverts and how introverts are actually critical to your team. Now, these traits, and this isn't all of them. This is more of a representative example to show you that it isn't just a typical HR view of diversity. These are all important. And what you want is you want people to bring a variety of perspectives and experiences. 
if you're developing a certain kind of product or service, having people on the team, some people maybe have got a college degree, some of them are just high school graduates. Some of them maybe came from a background where their family had money, and some people who didn't. Some people who were born in the U.S., people who were born outside the U.S. All of those bring perspectives to ultimately build a much better product that is much more accepted on a global basis. So when you think about hiring, you do have to think about these traits and get out of that habit of hiring people just like us, hiring people that are the same age or have the same degree or all technical or uh, all single or uh, all married with little young kids or middle-aged or, or all from uh, North America or all from Western Europe. Drive that diversity, the broader the diversity. In my experience, when I look back on the teams, those teams that are absolutely the broadest in the diversity are the ones that had the highest output because you brought all those perspectives together. And again, all of these trades have an impact on how you look at your ideas and your innovations. And better teams have a diverse team, but more importantly, they have leaders who are actually open to allowing them to have that opinion, to present that opinion from the standpoint of putting it on the table and having those discussions. Otherwise, you know, the homogenous teams will only look at a new idea through a very narrow lens and view themselves as a proxy for the customer. And as I've said multiple times, we are not a good proxy for our customers. We think we are, we think we understand it, but in many cases we are just too close. And that's why in some cases, some of the people on your innovation team should not maybe even be inside your company. For Roche Diagnostics, which makes um, testing equipment for people with diabetes, I was on their innovation team. I don't have diabetes and I never worked for Roche, but they were looking for that outside perspective. So think about it from that perspective where you may actually bring people from the outside. And so uh, if you're looking for more about this and more about ideas and creativity and innovation, then let's get connected. Why don't you go ahead and text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to INNOVATE at KillerInnovations.com. That'll get us connected on email, and we can have that way we can have a discussion whether you agree with me or you don't agree with me. Now, as you can imagine, this week's theme is, theme is diversity. Our next guest is someone that I, that I know very well and someone who I've been working with for a number of years around this concept of diversity. So stay tuned. Stay right where you're at. You don't want to miss this. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations. Biz Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. 
Welcome back to this segment. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations. Killer Innovations is all about the ideas, creativity, and innovations, and encouraging you to step out and take that risk with that idea that you're working on. Our guest today is Tara Rail. Tara is a speech-language pathologist who specializes in working with people with autism and related disorders. She was the inspiration for Hacking Autism, an effort that I started when I was still at HP. Uh, It all got started from the families of her clients who were looking for anything that could help their family members have a full and meaningful life. And when I retired from HP, HP graciously allowed me to take it out and form a nonprofit, of which Tara is a co-founder. You can visit and check it out over at hackingautism.org. And also one little other deep, dark secret here is Tara is my oldest daughter. So, Tara... This has to be a little strange for you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so share a little bit about yourself. I know a lot about you, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, the, the, the audience here for the show has, may or may not know a little bit about you because of our work in hacking autism. So give us a little bit of background about yourself. Um, as you said, I'm a speech-language pathologist. I graduated from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and from there I worked four years in the public school system where I saw autism on the rise, and I saw more and more of my clients um, getting this diagnosis and more and more of us not really feeling totally adequate in how to go about it. Um, so I started stealing tech from your house <laughs> to try with my clients. And I but saw- you were also stealing tech from HP. Yes. <laughs> Sparring anything labs would loan me. Um, and I really saw my clients responding really positively to it. So after four years in the public school, I actually transitioned to a private clinic working specifically with some of the needs that clients with autism have, um, typically more on what's considered the high functioning side of the spectrum. And um, did that for a few years and then decided... I had my own ideas, and I wanted to give them a try, so I opened up my private practice, and that's what I do now. So give us a little bit of background on autism. You know, you know the statistics are getting to be quite shocking. Most people have some familiarity simply from the standpoint of either child, grandchild, niece or nephew, or somebody you know, but maybe there's some people out there who have not, don't have a perspective on, on what autism is and, what that, and what, how big of a problem this really is becoming. Um, autism is present from early childhood. Um, we typically see symptoms appearing before the age of three years old. Um, it's characterized by um, rigid, rigid and repetitive behaviors, but also individuals having difficulty with communication, forming relationships, abstract concepts, and perspective taking, which is understanding the thoughts and feelings of others. Right now, we're at um, one in 68 children born in America today have um, some form of autism or are on the spectrum. Um, so that's about 3.5 million Americans today have autism. Right. And is it true or not true, though, that it's, it seems to be more prevalent amongst boys than it is with girls? It is. It's one in 42 boys, whereas it's one in 189 girls. So it's about a four to one ratio. And we've heard all the theories as to people think about what causes is autism. So what, what's the latest thinking on that? You know, there's um, so many different thought processes there and ways people lean and really there's no consensus out there yet. They've done a ton of research. They do see some forms. Um, they're leaning towards genetic links. Others, they're learning to environmental pieces that trigger a genetic piece that's already there. There's really no consensus and it's a heated debate out there. So you call it an autism spectrum disorder. So what does it mean when you say a spectrum? 
Um, the saying out there around some of the communities is you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Um, just as you and I or anybody else are unique individuals, it's same with people on the autism spectrum. Um, we get everything from individuals who are nonverbal, who have impaired um, intellectual abilities, to people who are savants with um, exceedingly shocking intellectual abilities um, who may or may not be verbal or nonverbal. So it's really a spectrum because each individual who um, has autism is dealing with different pieces of that diagnosis and different pieces, um, different abilities and disabilities involved in it. So in this case, you, know, you, you and I gave a speech, oh, I don't know what it was, three or four years ago, um, at the American Society of Diversity Hiring in Atlanta, where we kind of introduced this whole concept of hiring for neural diversity. So okay. tell us a little bit about kind of your thoughts on the background on this concept of neural diversity. Um, looking right now, as I said earlier, about 3.5 million Americans right now are on the spectrum in some way. We have a lot of these individuals in the workplace or wanting to be in the workplace, who have the abilities to be in the workplace. We have a lot of kids coming up through the education system who are going to graduate and a lot of them want to be an active member of society. But if we actually look at the statistics out there when it comes to employment, um, only 34% of those on the spectrum are employed. And one in five of those are only full-time. The average income for them are $8.10 an hour, which is actually much lower than other disability comparison groups. Right. And the concept here on the whole neurodiversity is the fact, as I talked in segment one of the show today, about hiring for diversity. I would argue that you also need to look at thought patterns and how people think from the standpoint of adding another diversity layer to your hiring process. Some people are linear thinkers. Some of them are spatial thinkers. Some of them are what I would call connection thinkers. They can keep in their head these random dots and connect it. Now, in the case of the autism spectrum, they refer to us as neurotypicals, mm -hmm. which I always think is a strange term. <laughs> um, and they're not typical. And if you're looking to kickstart your, your innovation team and your, uh, your creativity, it is about hiring those people that, are, that do think differently. Absolutely. Um, you know, the nice thing that they can absolutely bring to the table is that um, a lot of people, I would even argue sometimes the majority of individuals on the spectrum are visual thinkers, you know, and even if they don't have something visually in front of them, they're visually thinking in their head and visually picturing things. So for a lot of us, you know, somebody will say a word and we can see the word in our head. They all see the picture in their head and they can rotate it and look at, they can replay things in their head that they've seen visually before, which drives their teachers in school crazy because they're bored. So they're replaying their favorite video game in their head. But when it comes to the office place, they can replay exactly how a test went and be able to figure out the problem then because they can hyper-focus on those important details and where their smarts lie. Yeah, and I think that's important because those kinds of thought patterns and those ability to get those people in to be part of your team is critically important. So, Tara, uh, when we get back, what I'd like for you to do is to share maybe three lessons from organizations when you think about hiring for neural diversity that, uh, that you found out from companies and, and others from the standpoint of hiring these kinds of people. Are you open to being the teacher then? I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, I'll be posting links to everything we talk about in the show notes at killerinnovations.com, so go check it out. Also, if you want to get connected, text the word innovate to 33444 or send an email to innovate at 
KevinInnovations.com. You do not want to miss the next segment where we talk about those things that you can do to actually hire people in on the autism spectrum. They can have a big positive impact on your organization. Stay right there. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Kill Innovations. Biz Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. So welcome back to this segment. Our guest today is Tara Rail, a speech-language pathologist specializing in working with people with autism. Uh, the topic today is around diversity and diversity from a standpoint of how do you hire certain traits into your innovation teams that are really going to drive your innovation pipeline. And the topic specifically for this segment is around neural diversity, hiring people who think differently than you. Uh, and the discussion for this segment really is going to be around those people that are on the autism spectrum. It's one out of every 68 being diagnosed with autism. So they are already in the workforce. Odds are if you work for any kind of an organization of any significant size, you already have people in your workforce that are on the autism spectrum. And the key here is to leverage them. Take advantage of the fact that they see everything differently. They look at your problems, your opportunities, your potential innovations, and they see everything differently. So, Tara, as we stated, we close out the last segment, you were going to give us those three lessons that I've learned from organizations that have hired people on the autism spectrum. So are you ready? Ready. Ready. Good. <laughs> Give us number one. Number one is what I like to call phone a friend. If you have no experience with individuals on the autism spectrum, someone you know does. As you said, one in 68 are diagnosed currently. So either you're impacted or someone close to you has been impacted. So the first thing you need to do is really make sure that you understand autism. So go talk to a person with autism, go to a local autism society meeting. If it's your niece, go over and spend an hour or two with her and talk to the families, talk to those who are supporting these individuals and see what their life is like and what they do have to offer. So are there other, are there outside organizations that could also help that? I mean, I know I'm familiar with, with Special Stern, which mm -hmm. actually helps companies Think about the hiring process of bringing these kinds of people in as far as training leaders to really think about this. Typically, your state government as well mm -hmm. has representatives and people who are helping train, you know, not even just with autism, but, you know, returning vets, et cetera, um, who are working to overcome traumatic brain injuries or other pieces. So typically, they also have systems where they're training individuals and bringing them in, um, you know, as well as there's groups out there run by parents and individuals with autism through the Autism Society or Autism Speaks, places like that where people are coming together and looking for job training and collaborating. Yeah, and I think the 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 the, ch the challenge with all of that is is if you're not familiar with it, then you it's the the fear of the unknown. Exactly. Right. And like I said, odds are if you work in any kind of size organization, you've got them in your workforce now. They typically are the people who maybe aren't as socially outgoing. They're not as engaged on your as a team. Um, 
They sometimes will do things that people may consider as rude or inconsiderate. They think of it as being factual and honest, okay. which is a trait for people on the spectrum. So let's go on to number two. What's the number two? Number lesson? two is ask audiences. Just as you were just saying, there's probably already people within your organization who um, are on the autism spectrum, either diagnosed or undiagnosed at this point in time, because you got to take it into consideration. A lot of the workforce now came through the schools at a time where they didn't necessarily have this diagnosis or there's diagnosed was less known, you know, so check the culture that you already have in your current workplace. Seek out those individuals who maybe aren't fitting in, whether or not they have autism. If they're having social difficulties and not fitting in, this is a great place to start working on the culture of the workplace and start seeing of ways of integrating them in. So it's not just using their brains, but also making them an active member of your team too. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if you work, like I said, any, any kind of a large organization, you have these people on. In my previous lives, I've had people that clearly fell onto the spectrum. Um, but they were absolutely amazing in the work that they could produce if you managed them appropriately. And typical management styles for people on the spectrum don't work. Mm -hmm. But you can leverage that ability for them to hyper-focus, be incredibly smart, high output, um, if you manage them appropriately, which means you've got to get away from kind of the traditional hiring methods. The typical performance review processes don't work for them. They don't pick up on subtleties. You need to be factual. You almost kind of, you know, a little bit be in their face a little bit mm -hmm. to tell them what to do and what not to do and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the key is, is many corporate cultures don't accept these kinds of people in. And in many cases, we bounce them out because we don't see them as a cultural fit because, quote, they're not a team player. They, um, you know, maybe they're a little too candid than, than what's typically allowed. And in some cases, organizations do have to change. Mm -hmm. And can, do you think organizations can change effectively to, to, to support these people? Absolutely. But it has to be willing to change. And it can't just be one person high up who needs to make the change. They need to sell it. Hardcore, so that the culture of the company as a whole can make this shift. Okay, so what's number three? Number three is um, what I call the 50-50. You know, these individuals on the spectrum are having to come in and a lot of times fight against um, what's comfortable for them in order to fit into the culture there. So just as we were saying before, um, with the culture needing to shift, um, the workplace needs to put in as much effort as these individuals are putting in as well. You know, if they are coming in... Um, just as much as they need training of how to work in our workplace, the workplace needs training as well. The people on their team, their supervisors, they need a team. As you said before, the HR process needs to change. They cannot go through the same hiring process that everybody else does because a lot of it involves those abstract concepts, which we know are difficult for them. Yeah, so in case of the hiring, how, how should companies think about changing the hiring process to get these kinds of get these people in who could be hugely valuable for their innovation and creative work. You know, a portfolio process where you can actually see what they can do, not necessarily what they can sit and impress you with sitting across a desk from you and using this abstract language to describe their abilities. Look at what their actual abilities are. Um, take out the computer process in the beginning in which they have to answer questions to even get into their first resume, you know, instead be willing to meet with these people face to face and see where they can fit in your organization. Yeah, I think it, it, that is an important, right? The, a lot of large organizations have gone to this electronic screening method where we ask questions and, you know, based on their answers, you kind of filter their resume to the top of the stack. But in many cases, people on the spectrum 
can't won't can't even get stuck. I guess is a better way to say mm-hmm. it. They get stuck to the point where they can't answer the question, and they give up and they just never submit. And we miss out on on an opportunity for some people who could actually just be phenomenal for an organization. Absolutely. So you need to find somebody on your team who can meet that person face to face and see the skills that they can bring, you know, and not just the differences that they would bring to the workplace. Now, over the years, though, I noticed that a lot of families get frustrated because of the lack of employment opportunities for their kids. As we've gone through, these kids have been diagnosed. They've gone through school. In many cases, they're aged out of the support programs they've got. So what are parents doing out there to kind of you know, almost backstop this, right? I mean, I'm seeing some of them are actually going out and starting companies to actually hire people on the spectrum. That's a big thing. It's a big conversation that I heard in the waiting room a lot when I used to work in Silicon Valley, which was the fathers getting together. What do you do? What do I do? How can we hire our kids in the future? Because no one else will hire my child, even though his IQ's off the charts and he's got the language abilities. Everyone's just going to see a quirky kid and never give my kid a chance. You know, there's companies that have started car washes. Companies have started um, like testing, data testing and data entry and data analysis and really just harnessing what these individuals have to offer. Um, a lot of times, regardless of where their intellectual abilities are and looking just solely at their ability instead of their disability. Yeah. I mean, the examples you give, the car wash is Rising Tide down mm-hmm. in Florida. Tom and his father uh, formed Rising Tide to, because the second son was, is autistic. Mm-hmm. And so 100% of the line staff that actually are cleaning the cars and that are, are on the spectrum. And, and it's been phenomenally successful. Also, Asparatech in Chicago doing software testing. In fact, my company, we hire them to do all of our internal web testing now, and it's been a phenomenal experience. Um, but parents trying to do this on their own to hire their own kids, we, the rest of the business community, we are missing out. Absolutely. These kids and these young adults can offer phenomenal value, particularly given that they look at problems differently, which on in the innovation game is hugely valuable in looking at everything differently. We need to get out of our shell, go out there and find them, leverage them and look on how we can uh, we can bring them in. So, hey, Tara, thanks a lot for coming in. I know this was a uh, uh, this is a passionate thing for you and I with hackingautism.org, but I think it's um, hugely valuable from the standpoint of trying to raise awareness that there are, are these people that, that can uh, join um, and be, be an effective member of, of, any, of any organization. So, uh, if you, people, if you want to follow what we're doing, um, you can um, check us out over at hackingautism.org. Also, if you want to connect via email with me, just text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., just drop an email to INNOVATE at KillInnovations.com. And when we come back, I've got a brain hack for you, this week's killer question. So stay right there. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio.
This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. So how are you doing with this week's creative muscle exercise? My objective is to give you challenges each week that will cause you to exercise your creativity. So get out your moleskin or whatever it is you capture ideas, your Evernote, napkins, uh, whatever it is, and carry it with you. It's each As each week goes by, uh, it becomes easier just to capture all those ideas. Look for things that frustrate you, that frustrate others, but get in the habit of writing them down. So as I've said in the past, questions are a mind hack. Your brain cannot stop from answering it. So what's the mind hack for this week? This week's killer question is, what is surprisingly inconvenient about my product? What is surprisingly inconvenient about my product? Now, the designers and engineers who worked at HP faced many, faced many challenges in getting their ideas signed off. It's a long process to get from an idea to a prototype, if you can imagine an organization that big. But before any product can hit the market, it always faced one final test. I would take the product home, give it to my wife, and say, tell me what you think. Now, my wife is an extremely smart. She's a nurse by training, um, very focused, but she is emphatically not a techie. She doesn't care how a gadget works. She just wants it to work. Now, her lack of specialized knowledge has been hugely valuable for me over the years. If I'm testing new products, I can troubleshoot it. I can pretty much figure out what the problem is. On the other hand, if my wife can't get her product to work, the first thing she does is call me up and yell at me, which is great incentive to get our products when I was at HP as flawless as possible because I wanted to put myself out of the role of being the family CTO. Now, years ago, when we were relocating from, uh, from our uh, old house in Virginia to California, uh, she was a little nervous about the drive. She was going to have to relocate her stained glass studio. She's also a stained glass artist. And she was nervous. Now, luckily, I had just been given the first working model for the latest GPS device that HP was about to go into production on. Now, this product... I'm going to think that this was like 2003, 2004. So I got the hold of this product. I gave her a quick lesson and off she went. Three days later, she calls me from the road, almost speechless with rage. Now, the GPS device looked great, had the latest hardware feature that anyone could want, the processor, the screen, the GPS uh, systems. What it didn't have was accurate maps. Now, every time my wife searched for a rest stop, it came up empty. Now, when she finally made it out west, she met me for lunch at the cafeteria in the building, in the campus. And the head of the division that developed the product came up and asked her what she thought. Now, I'm sitting here giving this executive kind of the sign of don't ask, go away, don't ask. Guess what her response was? Her response was, well... It was clearly designed by a guy because I stopped at every crummy gas station bathroom between here and Kentucky. Now, the GPS was super fast, looked great, but it had completely missed the mark on why people buy GPS devices, which is based almost purely on the quality of the maps. 
great hardware can't compensate for faulty software. Now, the GPS device failed the wife test, and it had failed my test too. It was sent back to the drawing board, and in fact, that product was killed. It was never shipped. Now, there are two ways to uncover these kinds of potential annoyances in how your new or existing products work. One is to observe your customers. Go out and actually watch them doing it. And the second is use the product yourself. Either way, you need to be fanatical about consistently improving the product and getting rid of the problems you uncover. Keep in mind that I've observed major differences between how men and women handle the issues. Guys typically will go and rustle that device down and won't let the gadget win. The women typically give technology three chances. Tries the first time out, doesn't work, it's annoying. Second time out, really upset. Third time out, it's going back to the store. It's one of the reasons why I relied so heavily on the wife test. My wife is a zero-tolerance consumer. If you don't have a zero-tolerance consumer, you need to find one and embrace them. Have them test your products and give you the unvarnished truth about your products and its usefulness. So some additional questions are, how do you uncover what customers perceive to be inconvenient about your product? And are you aware of the inconveniences? Two, do you have your own, do you use your own product and service? Do you use it yourself? And then what's your version of the wife test? So this week's killer question is, what is surprisingly inconvenient about my product? So this week's exercise is go find three inconveniences, inconveniences, man, I'm having a hard time with that word. Go find three inconveniences you were not aware of with your product or service. Then for each, brainstorm five ways on how to remove it. So you're looking for 15 ideas in total. So get your notebook out and exercise your creative muscle. Set aside 15 minutes a day. That's not much time, but it could have a huge impact on you and your career. Share your homework by sending to me at phil at killinnovations.com, and I'll share the best ideas on the show. If you mark it private, I won't share it, but I will reply, and I reply to every email that comes in. And don't think that you only have the one week. If you're listening to this podcast after the broadcast date, go ahead. Send it in. Um, let's see. A few As we close out this week's show, I want to continue to make you aware of I'm giving away a two-hour audio course I created years ago called How to Create Killer Innovations, giving it away for free. Um, just text uh, the word innovate to 33444 or send an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com. If While you're at it, go ahead and check out killerinnovations.com. The new site is live. It's still in beta mode. Also, don't miss out on the other great shows over at BizTalk Radio Network at biztalkradio.com. And while you're there, grab the mobile app and you can listen to this show live um, along with any of the other BizTalk Radio shows. Uh, today's show was engineered by Brandon. He's uh, in the studio helping me out. He has a difficult job of trying to keep me on track. If you know an innovator has a story that we should hear, drop me a note at phil at killerinnovations.com. Also, please drop me a note. Let me know. Give me some feedback. Always looking for your input and suggestions. If you've got guests or if you suggest other segments for the show, love to hear it. So just drop me a note. I'm Phil McKinney, and don't let the innovation antibodies get you down. Keep on innovating, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
The opinions you hear on Biz Talk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, Biz Talk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on Biz Talk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about Biz Talk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. Biz Talk Radio. 